we've been going through the book of James in our Four Voices series. Um, and I was thinking about this today as I was going over, we'll be in James chapter 4 today. J James is kind of like being thrown in a washing machine. I mean, because he really runs you around, man. He like agitates you, you know, and it, ah. But you come out and you feel like, wow, man, I'm better than I was. So, um, so that's, it's, it's been a great book. I don't know if you've enjoyed it, but it's been a great book to be in and to hear from, from God through. So we're going to be looking at um, a, a, a subject in the passage of verses called the jealousy of God for his people. The jealousy of God for his people. And uh, we'll uh, jump right into James chapter 4. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose it is of to no purpose that the scripture says, He yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. But he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourself, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Well, I, I want to begin in the middle of this passage. Because I think thematically that's where this passage goes. And it, it has to do with verse 5. Or do you suppose it is to no purpose that the Spirit says, He yearns jealously over the Spirit He has made to dwell in us. Je jealousy is not a term that we often bring up about God. Uh, Shakespeare's Othello called it the green-eyed monster. You know, it's usually a, a, a negative term. And, you know, it's kind of like, well, what is it? Well, I was thinking about this, and I, and I don't know why it hit me, but do you remember back, those of you that are alive, back when Bill Clinton was president, okay? And he tried to define the word is. Do you guys remember that? It might have been the defining moment of his presidency, unfortunately, but he was sort of defining the word is, and because he had told his top aides that there was nothing going on between him and Monica Lewinsky, and he said this. Here's what, here was, here's what Clinton told the grand jury. It depends on what the meaning of the word is, is. If the, if he, if is means is and never has been, that's one thing. That is one thing. If it means there is none, that is completely, a completely true statement. Are you confused? 
The thing about the jealousy of God, we can define it, but the first thing we have to do is assert it, okay? And we assert it because it's a consistent theme through Scripture that our God is a jealous God. And when he talks about jealousy, he doesn't talk about people that aren't his people. He uses it in terms of his people, okay? Some people think that God is the great clinician in the sky. You know, the, the dentist that would do you good, but, you know, has no... F- <laughs> Does this hurt? Yes, it hurts. It really hurts. <laughs> well, I'm going to do it six more times. Okay. Um, God is a feeling God. Again, I was thinking about this. and I was thinking so many times when we think about our relationship with God, it's what we call anthrocentric. That means it's, it's man-centered. We always see it in terms of ourself. You know, I love God, I'm, or I didn't do well to God. But we, we, we fail to step back and see that on a bigger scale, in a bigger way, that our God is consistently, consistently, He doesn't change. And one of the things He is for His people is He's jealous over them and for them. So it kind of takes it out of the me and looks at it a bigger picture like, wait a minute, I, I have this... Jared said, obligation to respond to the possessiveness of God for me. Marissa, who's this? That's Dolly. Okay. This is my youngest granddaughter's favorite doll. It is cute when you get to looking at it. So about two months ago, Jamie, after work, I got home, we were debriefing, and she said, well, <clears throat> one of our granddaughters got their first demerit. Well, the, the one that should have gotten one by now is the one sitting next to me, Emma. I mean, she is all full of it. I mean, she, she's got it going on. She, we were laying on the trampoline a few weeks ago, and all of a sudden, Wham! This hand hits my tri- my hand. I mean, left a mark. I'm like, what was that? Oh, Elma, you know, well, that's the way she is. Um, so, um, but it wasn't Emma. It was Abby, the the little tiny one. She, she she was at daycare, and somebody got a little boy got between her and Dolly. So she shoved him and pushed him down and walked and picked Dolly up. She doesn't like to share Dolly. The, the root of the word, uh, the jealousy, it, it means passion. It means, it means p- passionate zeal. Um, the, the, the root word be, it means in Hebrew to become red. It's like the rising of the emotions. Okay? And so... It's a, it's a consistent theme of Scripture 
you know, you start with the second commandment, and, and <clears throat> the Lord says, you shall not make for yourself the carved image, you shall not bow down to serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God. Deuteronomy 6.15, he says, for the Lord your God in the midst of you is a jealous God. And then look at this one. Uh, Exodus 34, this is the, re the reestablishing of the covenant. Take care, lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land to which you go, lest it become a snare in your midst. You shall tear down their altars and break pillars and cut down their ashram. For you shall worship no other God, for the Lord who is name, whose name is Jealous is a jealous God. See what he's saying there? I remember getting saved and taking all of my worldly records and throwing them in the trash. You know, it's like, there was this, you know, like, okay, we're going to knock down all the ashram and, you know, throw over that, you know, and that lasted about a year. Um, but, um, but the issue with the, with the jealousy of God is that it's the expectation that, that love is going to be returned, okay? And so um, here's a quote from a dead guy, all right? We love quoting dead guys because they usually are authoritative, all right? Um, Charles Spurgeon, the Prince of Preachers. The Lord Jesus Christ, of whom I now speak, is very jealous for your love, O believer. Did he not choose you? Did he not buy you with his own blood? You cannot endure that he cannot endure that you should think that, that you are your own. And this telling phrase, or that you belong to the world. He loved you with such a love that he could not stop and stay in heaven without you. He would sooner die than that you should perish. Think about this in terms of Easter. He stripped himself to nakedness that he might clothe you with beauty. He bowed his face to shame and spitting that he might lift you up to honor and glory. And he cannot endure that you should love the world. So the question James asked in this passage, okay, is not did you commit a personal foul of like roughing the passer, okay? And, and a 15-yard penalty which backs you up, all right? But the question that James asks is, are you committing spiritual adultery? That's exactly what he says. And it's an interesting reminder. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is, enemy with, is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. We live in a culture that material things and money, they, they are the things that are really sought after the most, okay? Um, and, of course, this isn't saying that you shouldn't have non-Christian friends. We should have Christian friends. This is talking about a way of thinking, and this is actually talking about our hearts, okay? And so the word friendship is the word uh, philia, does anybody know any city around here that has that name in it? <laughs> the city of brotherly love. Except when the Eagles are playing Dallas on Sunday. Um, but, but that's the word. It's, that's the word that's used, okay? And what it means is to have an emotional attachment or affection for. Now, I was thinking about this. Have you committed spiritual adultery? 
Probably not for most of us. You know where spiritual adultery starts with? Friendship. That's where adultery starts with friendship. And then it goes to dating. And then it goes deeper. Okay. So, so James, he's, he's, he's that washing machine. He's agitating us, okay? Because he doesn't want us to go from here to here to here, okay? He wants to keep us over here, all right? That's where he wants to go. So, um, you know, um, friendship with the world is, is when we begin to adopt the world's values and standards. And we buy in to what the world highly values instead of what God highly values. We buy into that. It's interesting. Um, I've never cooked a frog. I, I never plan on cooking a frog. I had one taste of frog one time about 30 years ago. And um, <clears throat> it, was, it, was, it was two bites at the same time. My first and my last. <laughs> but those who cook frogs will tell you that the best way to do it is put them in a big pot with cold water, you know, or, or maybe a little bit warm, because they, they're comfortable there. They won't jump out. And then slowly heat it. And they slowly get, you know, a uh, nice hot bath. They slowly get more relaxed. Ah, oh, this feels so good. And then eat them. Uh, That's the world. That's the world. Inch by inch, we quite frankly lower our standards. And what we used to think was reprehensible for us to do, I'm not judging the world, its effect on us, we do. I just put this up here because I think it applies. Um, uh, we have decreasing uh, desire to serve God, meet with one another, study, pray. And when video games or Facebook or TV occupies most of our time, eh, it's, it's, not, it's not really a great thing. That's kind of like an indication that we need a spiritual checkup, and that's what James is saying. And... Um, you know the thing about Bible study and prayer? Please, this is not meant personally, but I love it when somebody says, I don't, I don't have any time. We all have the same amount. <laughs> now, I know a few people in this church that work like 70 hours a week. Okay, all right, I got it, I get it, I get it. Aside from that, you know, we <laughs> to meet together, study, pray worship. When uh, people in the world don't see any difference in our actions, okay? And, and the main th thing is we need people in our lives that hold us accountable. We really do. If you don't have an accountability partner, husbands and wives need to hold your spouse accountable. Sometimes you just need to be the bad guy, okay? Um, and if you're not married, you need someone in your life to hold you accountable. If you're in high school, you need to have a friend that you say, look, here's, here's what I want you to hold me accountable for. 
right here. This is the stuff, you know. So examine your life um, prayerfully, prayerfully. And the question that James would ask us is, have other things assumed a more prominent place in your life than your relationship with the Lord himself? Nobody can answer that question but, but me for me, you for you. Nobody can. Because you can be going through all the motions, but you know. And maybe it's not true, so you don't, that's, you don't have to say it is if it isn't. Um, but it's... So anyway, the nice thing is, is that James gives us the cure for spiritual adultery. All right? The nice thing is. And so the, the list at the end is like, you know, you could... You know, John MacArthur would spend six months on that list, you know. Look at this. God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist, Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double minded Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. It's a great list. It really is. Um, you'll see it there in bullet form in just a second. But <clears throat> he, he gives us the recipe for, 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 for sort of taking care of this spiritual adultery. He says the first thing is to humble yourself. That means just to say, Lord, I just want to come before you and submit yourself to God. That, that's, you know, it's like, Lord, I, I, I want to serve you, and, and uh, you know, I, it's just what I want to do. Resist the devil. In other words, resist anything that you know of that's not of God and his kingdom. Draw near to God. Spend some extra time with him. Cleanse your hands. So he says, you know, it's not just about your hearts. It is your behavior. It is what you're doing. Cleanse them. Purify your hearts. Go into your heart and self-examine. <laughs> this mourn and weep and be gloomy. <laughs> oh, great. Man, do I feel lifted up. <laughs> Humble yourself before the Lord. That's just that's something you have to learn to do. Hit that next slide. But the, the result of this is so positive. Humble, God gives grace to the humble. In other words, saying, if you come before me in humility, my grace will be there. The devil flees those who resist him. That's the promise. I love the third one. God draws near to those who draw near to him. You know that prodigal son story, you know. One foot towards God, and he comes like six miles to us. He will do that. He will draw near to us if we will draw near to him. James continues to remind us that moral purity and single-mindedness of heart are of high value in the sight of God. And that mourn we can be gloomy. He likes it when we take our spiritual lives seriously. He really does. He really does. You know, <clears throat> you know, there are times in our lives when we, that's a good thing, you know, where we're like, I am really sorry, Lord, that I have been running from you or, you know, not. 
told you that's a good thing. The bipolar nature of humility. God lifts you up. You humble yourself before God. And he lifts you up. So the thing about this is this. God is jealous for us in a good way. By nature, we tend to commit spiritual adultery. We just do, you know. We, we, we just tend to, uh, you know, whether it's sports or money or TV or video games. You know, we just, by nature, we do. And we need reminders about it, okay. But what James says right in the middle of the passage is he gives more grace to come back more fully to him. But God gives more grace. Did you hear that right in the middle? But God gives more grace. And then he says, when we repent, when we humble ourselves. So I want to encourage you to do that today. Uh, Peter has done that already in the service. But um, the great thing about the Lord is he doesn't hold our sins and iniquities against us. If we just come back to him, he forgives them. And he, goes for, he, he says, come back to me, my child. Come back to me, my child. Okay. Um, and um, so I would just encourage you to take the, this passage, to read it this week, and to meditate upon it. There's a lot of good sort of things that perhaps the Lord, the Spirit would teach you from some of those words, humble, submit, draw near. Um, and <clears throat> so in your life, um, perhaps you would pray, Lord, I want you to be first in my life. I'll change the things I can, and I'll learn to accept the things I can't, submitting to God, submitting under His sovereignty. I will spend a little extra time praying and redirect my affections to heavens, drawing near, draw near to God. And I will let my conduct reflect my commitment to grace. I love what Elijah said after he faced the, all the prophets on Mount Carmel. He defeated them, and God was glorified, and he just said this. He said, I have been very zealous, jealous for the Lord, the Lord God of hosts. God is jealous for us, and he wants us to have that jealousy, that passion, that zeal in response. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your astounding love, that you would love such sinners. We thank you for the cross of Jesus Christ. Father, we are so amazed that you would die for us, that you would choose us and call us out of this dark world. And Father, we pray that your spirit would speak to us what we need to do to get out of any kind of spiritual adultery and serve you with all our hearts. We ask it in Christ's name.